Hey, it's the official releases, the unofficial Grateful Dead radio program for the official releases. It's a radio show that broadcasts on uh, many radio stations around the globe, highlighting the official releases from the Grateful Dead. Every so often, we like to check in and uh, get an interview lined up. And uh, we have one that is a friend of the program. We uh, talked with him uh, back in the day about his book, Dylan and the Dead. Now he's got a new one out. I'm Howard F. Weiner, and my new book is Deadology, Volume 2, The Evolution of 33 Grateful Dead Jam Anthems. This is what I do, besides, you know, my day job and all that. But at some point in my life, I, I realized I'm a writer. It's fun. It's like eating. It's like, you know, drinking, working out. I'm a writer. I write every day. It's beautiful research. I mean, for me, the most rewarding thing is the research, that I'm finding new stuff, that I'm reaffirming great music. And I know that there are going to be some people out there who read this book, and they're going to go to it, and I'm turning them onto the music. For me, that's always been like, you know, for some reason, you do things in life, but like being a writer. When I was into the dead, you know, I was so into turning other people on. Like I would find a hot version of something. I would have to get every person I know who's into the Grateful Dead, pull them into a car, do a couple bong hits, whatever. And we, we'd, I'd make them listen to that. They'd be like, oh, yes, that's amazing. So for me, it's always been about turning people onto music. And I, I guess that's never changed. Here I am all these years later, and I have a much bigger platform to do it from now. I guarantee anyone who picks up this book and listens to any of these songs are going to love it. I picked out 33 jam anthems, songs that are, the jams are huger than the song. Uh, Morning Dew, Dark Star, other one, playing in the band, all the great jam anthems that the Grateful Dead do. I give a nice little history, how the songs change through the years. And then I just get into the, the best versions. I don't rank them because that's so subjective ranking them, but there's 279 versions I picked out to describe. And I think each one of them, everybody will love. Of course, people are going to say, hey, you should have chosen this one from 8674 and that one from whatever. I know that I'm going to miss some. <laughs> there's, there's no way. I'm, I'm not the master of Dark Star. Nobody is. So it's you go into this like humbly because the Grateful Dead have just so much music to examine. Nobody could be the expert. So yeah, you have to go into it with a certain amount of humility and realize that, hey, I can only take what I know and apply as much enthusiasm as I can into the project. The double-edged sword of it. You know, the thing was, when I was seeing the band back in the day, I think people are wired differently. Whenever I saw the band, I was sitting out there in the audience and the Rolodex in my mind was rolling. And um, I was just, I was always critiquing everything. That's the way I approached the music. You know, I've always had like a critiquing edge to it. I realize that not everybody is in the same position of uh, approaching the uh, critiquing part the same way. And you do put yourself up to um, people fighting back because there's certain periods where I'm not going to you know, be on the money. Like in, in the 90s, I didn't see as many shows and the music never seemed as great to me as the other decades. So people who love the Grateful Dead and saw shows in the 90s obviously are going to have uh, a much higher opinion of the music and are going to know more than me. You can only kind of master what you, uh, the period you're, you're from and the stuff you love in a way. And then you try to, as a critic, try to listen to everything else you can. 
but uh, there's always going to be that uh, preference to your period and the period you love. For me, it's 1972 uh, through 77, and then I have a strong love for the 80s. I was there, and it really spoke to me, uh, Garcia's playing during that period. So of the 33 jam anthems, there's 279 versions I picked out to describe. But um, I'm confident that every single one that's in this book will be uh, you know, an enlightening experience. Everyone's going to love each of these selections. No thanks to me, thanks to the Grateful Dead. Best of the Grateful Dead, the very best. You have to have a little criteria when you're doing something like this. But basically, it has to be a song that has staying power. You know, that the dead played a number of times and it last throughout the years. Because a jam anthem, you're thinking of something that really embodies the greatness of a band, a song that you, you listen to, and you're like, that's why the Grateful Dead are who they are and, and why they've been so big and how they're, they're timeless through all these years. So I. I kept it down to 33 because there's so many of these songs you know one could argue that they have uh, 50 jam anthems but I tried to make it a little more selective you know make it a little tougher so I limited it to 33 little funny thing about that it actually turned out being 34 because as I was putting the book together somehow I, I left Birdsong out I, I wrote the entry for Birdsong and about a couple of days before the book came out, it just I, I went into a panic. I'm like, I've got to put Bird Song in the book. I left it on the computer file, so you get a bonus. There's actually 34 jam anthems in the book. I think for a surprise, maybe um, Cumberland Blues might be, or you know, the I did one and one, which was Cumberland Blues and Big Railroad Blues, or some of the first set jam songs like Cassidy, Passenger, um, where I paired those together. Maybe songs that weren't as heavy hitting but had great jams, like Take Jack Straw. You know, it started off; it's a nice song, it's got a good jam, the great versions, people are enjoying the song. But then 77, 78, 79, all of a sudden it's this incredible, like mind-boggling guitar jam that just leaves you breathless. And then you, you wonder how that came about, how that developed, why it wasn't like that for five years. When I'm listening to Jack Straw, I could actually skip listening to the lyrical part. I usually don't. I mean, it's great. It's such a great song. But it's like, you, it's the type of thing you could go right to the jam and just, that's the crux of the song. It's like, you know, what, what Garcia and the band does in that jam. That really makes it. Where a song like Terrapin is such a big lyrical, it's like the national anthem of the Grateful Dead universe, you know? It's like you stand up and you just take in the words, and the jam really can never outdo the magnitude of the song. In some songs, it's obvious, the Dark Stars, the other ones, but as the band progressed, and especially like 1977 moving forward, most of their great instrumentals were within boundaries, within sugary, within Music Never Stopped more predictable in structure, but um, when they hit it, there's a huge difference between when they were on and they really rocked it, as opposed to just going through the motions. So jam anthems could materialize within structured songs. And the songs changed in, in texture so much through the years and out of nowhere, something could spur on a song changing for the good, or you know, when you move into a different era, the, the dead are attacking a song a different way. Then all of a sudden there'll be like this period in uh, 1984, on a fall tour, which I happened to be at this uh, fall tour almost in its entirety. 
and they played Jack Straw three times. All three times was an unusual placement. One was in the second set in Worcester, the fourth song, which was extremely rare. Then they played it in Hartford towards the end of the first set, uh, next to the last song. And then they ended, which I think is the best Jack Straw ever, in Syracuse on October 20th, 1984. And they just blew the roof off the Carrier Dome that night. The placement of the song, for some reason, they knew as a band that they had something going and they were maximizing Jack Straw for whatever reason. And in October 84, the, the sound of the band, everything clicked and Jack Straw worked during that time period. And then working with Jack Straw again, there might be a, a period like, you know, in 1980, after Jerry Garcia's coma, there were certain songs that he really reunited with, you know, and found the mojo with, some he didn't. One of them was Jack Straw. There were several great versions in 1987 when Jerry was coming back on the East Coast and West Coast tours that year. But they definitely like changed the whole uh, feel of the show. It was like putting a pacemaker into a show. They, uh, you know, the, the jams may not have been long. They would give you the shivers. Spanish jam is interesting. It's just one of those you wouldn't, you may not even think is a jam anthem, but it, it's haunting. It just sticks in your mind. And um, Bob Weir, um, I think, introduced it to the band back in 1967, at least from what I've read on a few accounts. And it was supposedly taken from Solia from Sketches of Spain. I've read that. I really didn't hear that particular reference of it, but it's obviously uh, Miles Davis influenced, and it's a nice Spanish flamenco jam. And it was haunting, you know, it just, uh, they would play it, they would really get into it, do some amazing work on it, and then it would disappear for like a couple years. Then it would come back and it would stick with the band, it would like haunt them again for a tour. They would play it a bunch of times, like 1974 had a great cluster of Spanish jams. And then it would disappear again, but it never really disappeared. And even in 1995, and on near their last tour, in a giant stadium, the Spanish jam came back again. So it's withstood the test of time, even though it wasn't like a regular on the scene. It was just one of those strange, haunting melodies that never left. In the book, I also paired with Caution Jam, which was another, uh, it, was a, it was a powerhouse of a jam in the early days. And it kind of lingered on in little bits and increments through the years. But um, they both came from the same period, so I paired those two jams together for one of the uh, jam anthems. Pioli Blues, to me, that's the original jam anthem. They didn't play it a lot it from 66 to 70. I think it's 50 some odd times, and there may only be 30 some odd versions, but it's the original jam anthem, you know, so you have to give it some respect for that. And also within Viola Lee, I heard so many hints of different jams. I heard the beginning of China Cat, the beginning of Caution. They would go off in the Coltrane like things. You know, playing it at the acid tests, learning how to jam at the acid tests, and that was like the main jam song. So I think any jam song that followed Viola Lee owed a debt of gratitude to Viola Lee Blues. Really an, an incredible song that I think we all kind of wish they played, but you know, hey, sometimes a song serves its purpose and its time and it says goodbye. But uh, Viola Lee is the original jam anthem, so in the book it was definitely. It's a pleasure doing this, you know, and um, I look forward to hearing from people's feedback. I love it. The fans are great. I just assure anyone who reads this book, 
it's going to make you feel better. You're going to lose 25 pounds in three weeks, maybe. And uh, you know, <laughs> the funny thing about listening to this music, it really when you listen nonstop to great music, it, it just does so much for you emotionally, your health, and everything. And I, and I really believe that. And the music I, that um, the Grateful Dead produced that I compiled in this book, you're, you're not going to find a, a better resource of just great music because I know I'm going to be listening to the greatest music. If I was just like, if I, if I had an assignment, if I gave myself the assignment of listening to every show from 1994, the project may never get done. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> but um, when, when, I, when I'm like, okay, I got to research the best call of fires, I, I got, you know, I get the best ones I know, and then I get ones which I suspect are great that I might not know. And it's actually very intriguing, and it's, it's beautiful research. I mean, for me, the most rewarding thing is the research. I assure you that the 279 selections in this book, people are going to love. So listen to the music. If you happen to like my writing, that's great, but uh, the music won't let you down. I can guarantee you that. The book's available on Amazon. Go to Amazon. You can type in my name, Howard F. Weiner, or Deadology. There's a Deadology Volume 1. That's my main way of doing it. We got a Kindle version. We got the paperback version. And also I have a website, www.tangledupintunes, where all my books are. The website's nice because I got a uh, Positively Garcia video page where I have all the many versions of many of the songs on my YouTube page. And also there's a connection to my blog there. So even if you're not going to get the book, you can have a lot of fun on my uh, Tangled Up in Tunes page. Beautiful thing, man. And uh, Corey, thanks so much. I appreciate it.